Thank you for listening to Sermons from Stonehouse Church. Our current series is called Reshaped. Reshaped is a 13-week series walking through the book of Ephesians. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Stonehouse. Glad to see you. Glad to have you. If you're new with us, uh, we are a church that desperately wants you to see Jesus. Uh, we hope deeply that everything we say and do points to him that even in our failures, when we smack our faces on the ground and then rise up to our knees in repentance, that you would see Christ even in those wonderful moments that God gives us the opportunity to see him in. Uh, if you're a skeptic or a doubter, you don't know about this whole God thing or this Bible, we're really glad that you're here. We think one of the most important things that you can do is ask questions of your faith or your lack of faith. Uh, to wrestle with your doubts and to kind of push back on your own self. Today we're going to see a powerful reason as to why that's necessary. Um, but we say that not only to you but to ourselves. Uh, we really believe that all followers of Christ ought to really dig in uh, to the questions, doubts, and fears in their heart and life and uh, let Scripture speak to those things. We are imperfect people uh, following a perfect Savior, and so that's why we consistently and regularly want to uh, submit ourselves to Scripture to really see what it says to us. Um, and to, uh, to worship Christ as he is revealed uh, through the text. So we are in Ephesians. We've been doing this series for several weeks now, and uh, we're coming up on the final two weeks, I believe, this week and next. Um, last week was Ephesians 5. Um, Jason taught a great message to uh, wives and husbands, um, and so if you missed that last week, I encourage you to listen online um, one of the best messages I've ever heard on Ephesians 5, 21 and following. Um, and we don't really uh, skirt the issues that are right there in the text, but really dive into them and let them wash over us. And I think Jason did a fabulous job with that last week. Um, but our text today continues um, much of the, the thought that began in, uh, in earlier chapter 5 of Ephesians, uh, and, and right toward uh, the end of some of the instructions, uh, Paul calls believers to submission, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to cuss, right? Like he calls believers to submission, all believers. And then specifically, starting in verse 22, all the way until our passage ends today, verse 9, Paul lay, lays out for the Christians what submission looks like in the home, okay? That's Paul's objective with these verses. So that's why he goes to wives, to husbands, to children, to fathers, to servants, and to masters. Now I know for us the servants, masters piece is a little funky. We're often thrown off by that. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. But in Paul's day, that fell within the realm of household instruction. That's why it's here. Okay? And we'll talk about that more, what that meant in the Roman world. Uh, for Paul, but this whole group of verses is about submission in the household. 
And there's a reason that God starts with marriage and then moves on to children and then to um, servants and masters. And that's because the marriage relationship is the primary human relationship that expresses the relationship of Christ and the church. Okay. Again, Jason talked about that at large last week. Um, but we also need to know that it's not the only human relationship that points to the glories of God, right? It isn't the only one. And so as we talk about these things, we need to make sure that we're not sidelining people who aren't yet wives or aren't yet husbands, people who aren't yet fathers and aren't yet mothers, because these aren't the only relationships in all of Scripture that point us to the glory of God, but they are the ones that Paul is talking to. And so we've got to pay attention to the fact that this, these texts do not mean that if you are not married, you are not whole. That is not what these verses mean. It does not mean if you are not a parent, you are not whole. Okay, it does not mean these things. It is simply giving husbands, wives, children, fathers, and so on uh, the explicit instructions on what submission looks like to them. Uh, and here at Stonehouse, we also like to add the thought that, that, that it isn't always helpful um, what sometimes the church has done in history. I'm very careful with our words here, but in certain places at certain times, the church has over-glorified the family and marriage, okay? They're great things, they're fabulous gifts from God, but they are never ultimate. And as soon as we make anything on this planet ultimate, it leads us toward idolatry. Because who's ultimate? God and God alone. And so when I place something in my heart in life, and then when I use the Bible to argue for it being ultimate, I construct an elaborate idolatry that leads towards all sorts of condemnation or self-righteousness. Condemnation because I have not attained the idol or, or self-righteousness because I have attained it, right? So if you're single and marriage is idolatrized before you, uh, then you're going to feel less than, right? Or if you're married and doing well in your marriage or whatnot, then with the over-glorification of marriage, you're going to bolster your self-righteousness. And so we never want to make these things ultimate, although we still want to instruct in the Lord according to scripture in them. This is also important in our age because of same-sex attracted individuals being told that the only way they can possibly achieve the glory of God is to be married, then we've set up an un unrealistic expectation. They need to understand if they've got a bent in a particular direction that marriage is not the ultimate goal, but submission to Jesus is. And so repentance and faith is their call too. And the scriptures would lead them towards chastity in their life. Same with single heterosexual people, right? Marriage is not the idol. Jesus is the king, and so his commands to be chaste in your singleness are to be followed. And so we want to have these nuanced aspects of the teaching uh, in order that we don't just bulldoze over anyone and make anyone feel as though Christ is not for them. And for those who are hurting and broken by sin and fractured relationships, if you're condemned and you feel guilty, if you've taken on yourself an overdue burden of that sin and have not released it to Jesus, this is a glorious day for you to realize he has not rejected you. He is loving you. He is your Lord. He laid his life down for you. And even though sin has fractured giant aspects of your humanity, you are not untouchable to the one who made you. He loves you. He has a place for you in his family. He died to rescue you, right? So we don't want to over-glorify these things because we recognize there are wounds all over the place. And if we make marriage or family the ultimate, then we cannot heal the wounds of the heart who have been broken in those places. Right, But when we make Jesus ultimate, healing is here for all of us. Amen? So, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, our text today, we're going to find two very important things that are the outflow of the earlier teaching in Ephesians. Right? We talked about early on that Ephesians is broken up into two halves, basically. That Ephesians 1 through 3 expounds on the gospel. 
tells the story of the gospel, what God has done in Christ and how that matters for us. And then chapters four, five, and six expound on what then shall we do in response. Uh, we talked about the indicatives and the imperatives of these things where uh, for half of this book, Paul is just telling us things that are true. And for the second half of the book, Paul is calling us to respond with our actions to those things that are true. And so these two realities that we find in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 are that, number one, human beings need leadership, okay? It is an inherent and understood foundational reality to these instructions that come to us, uh, both at the latter part of Ephesians 5 and here in Ephesians 6. Human beings need leadership, right? And then secondly... The other thing that we find here in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, is that when we're in Christ, he will influence everything we do, right? That's why that first song that we sang is so gloriously important as we look at that te this text today, because when Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all, right? His throne is so high as to spray a blanket of authority over all of the globe, that his lordship spreads into everything that we do. So I want to read the text again, not because Nathan didn't do a good job, but because we like the word to wash over our hearts again and again and to cleanse our minds. And so I'm going to read 1 through 9 again, and then we'll pray and jump in. So here it is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves or bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, but not, uh, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's a privilege to be your kids and to come and speak with you boldly and courageously and without fear. We know there's only one way we can do that, and that is because of the way Jesus made for us. And so it is in Christ's name that we come as daughters and as sons today and ask for you to instruct us in the ways of your lordship in our life. And God, whether we're married or single, whether we have children or not, whether we are um, in a younger stage of our childhood or in an adult stage of our childhood, um, whether we are workers or bosses, um, no matter what types of authority structures we find ourselves in, um, the truth of this text is that you are the ultimate authority. And that if we're going to learn to submit to you, You've given this gift of submission in different realms of our lives to us, uh, that we might submit to parents and submit to leaders so that ultimately we could learn what it looks like to submit to you. Because Jesus, at the end of the, the day, it is right that we submit to you. Because your name is that name which is given among men by whom we are saved, by whom we are led, it is a name that is above every name. It is the name that we will bow down to, whether it's now or later, every knee will bow to Jesus. So we pray today that you would work on our hearts that our knees might bow to you on this day. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So there's no shortage of leadership books out there. I mean, Google leadership book and you'll be spending your entire Sunday afternoon rifling through piles and piles and piles of books on leadership. 
uh, whether it's leadership in the marketplace, leadership in the home, leadership in the church, uh, leadership in your marriage and your family, leadership in government, servant leadership, structured leadership, planned leadership, casual leadership, whatever, right? I mean, we are inundated with books on leadership. So it's not any kind of argument against our world to make the statement humans need leadership. It is a biblical statement and it is also a statement the world recognizes, right? And it is also a reality that every single one of us walk in all the, all the time that we recognize the human inability to completely submit to leadership, right? This is why uh, water cooler talk exists um, is for us as sinners to display our uh, rampant uh, inability to submit to the leaders over us. Um, it's why <laughs> the water cooler is there so that you can get a water with someone that you're comfortable with airing your grievances to about your boss, right? I mean, that's part of the whole creation of fellowship amongst coworkers is just the baseline understanding of I hate my boss, you hate my boss, therefore we're friends. Right? Like the world knows that we need to be led, but simultaneously the world proclaims we cannot be led. We are stiff-necked, stubborn, prideful, arrogant people who do not like the fact that someone in our world has to tell us what to do. But Jesus is so gracious to us in the kind of leadership that he shows biblically is the greatest leadership. And that is that Christ came as king of the universe. And what did he come to do? He came to serve. He came to lay down his life for those whom should have been following him but weren't. Right? This is why in our text last week, husbands were pointed to Jesus as the ultimate leader and leadership example. And so human beings need leaders. We need wisdom, we need guidance, we need protection and help. God help us, we need discipline, we need instruction and care and influence. Because if left to ourselves, inevitably, we will train wreck our lives. Now, the proud man gristles against that statement. The proud woman rejects that idea. I'm not that bad. God loves you enough to tell you, yes, you are. You will ruin your own life if you're not led to better life. And that's why we have leadership. And what's glorious about leadership is that the ultimate example of leadership is the servant, Jesus Christ. And so here's the thing, if you're wanting leadership from God, which, you know, if you're a good Christian, you might say, I, I want to be led by God, right? And different worlds of Christianity might say that differently, um, but ultimately it comes down to God working something in our hearts to humble us, to help us go, yeah, I need, I need to be led by God. I recognize that he's got all the wisdom and that I've got that much, that he knows all of history and that I know that much, that he understands the condition of the human heart and I'm barely scraping the surface, that he is the possessor of all power and all knowledge and all wisdom and I want him to lead you. So if you want leadership from God, I would beg you and encourage you to look around you right now, today. Because no matter where you are, no matter what stage of life, no matter how long you've lived where you're living, no matter how long you've worked where you're working, right now, God has given you leaders. Today. You have them. Okay? Now, you might push back against this and say, God, listen, preacher, nobody's leading me. Right? And I think you're wrong. I think God has given you leaders. Some of them are great leaders and some of them are terrible leaders, but God has given you leaders. And Paul shows us in this passage that everyone has been given a leader. 
God has not left you on your own. He's leading you right now. Maybe you don't necessarily feel like God is leading you because you aren't really in a place where you feel like you want to listen to the leaders that are in your life. But you need to understand that God indeed has provided them for you. And so I would encourage you, if you wonder, God, are you leading me or not? I would encourage you to begin closing your mouth more and opening your ears more. And I know I'm being really mean right now. But I need this. And you need this. So here's just a couple of simple, helpful suggestions at what it might look like to find the leaders that God has provided for you right now. It might look like humbling yourself and approaching a leader for instruction. Right? What does that look like? Well, that looks like asking some questions of a leader in your life. And a leader could be your mom or your dad. A leader could be your boss. A leader could be just an older person who has more wisdom than you in your life. And a leader could be your pastor. A leader could be maybe even a friend that has some more wisdom than you do in a particular area of life. To be led by them might look like coming to them and asking them, where are my blind spots? Where do I not see myself rightly? Because we all have those. You might ask a leader, what am I neglecting? Where can I be changing my attitude? What kind of things should I be pursuing and how can I be growing? And here we go, I double dog Daria. What are my sins? All right, everybody close your eyes, put up your hand if you've never, and no, I'm just kidding. Like, we don't ask these things. If we spent a fraction of the time asking for leadership as we did complaining about leadership, our lives would be drastically different. I believe that at the core of my existence. And I need leaders. You need leaders, and you have them. You have them. Listen, some leaders in your life are not even close to godly, and you can still ask them these questions. And God can lead you through them. He can. Is God not God? Right? Now, you have to walk the nuance of being guided into sin by leaders, right? Like, that's... No. <laughs> but I don't think most of us find ourselves in that place. I think most of us just find ourselves in a place of complaining rather than submitting. I love you. It's so hard. So hard to say these things. And so, in this text, we see Paul in the home, specifically, talking about those who need leadership. Right? Because what does he say? He says, to children, obey. <laughs> because the children need leadership. Right? And then what's glorious and gracious about God is he not only says, children, obey, but then he says, fathers, lead and guide. Right? He gives a dual instruction here. It's beautiful. To the one needing leadership, God says to the workers, the bond servants, he says, obey. And to the ones leading them, he says, leader, do good to those you lead. And so to every single one, to the one being led and the one doing the leading, God says Jesus Christ is Lord over all y'all. Amen? So I believe these nine verses will help us to see more of the submitting and more of the authority that are tied to the lordship of Jesus. So let's dig in one by one. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Obey your parents in the Lord. So the command here for children is to obey their parents. Um, Last week, we talked about the, the roles of husbands and wives. We talked about wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving their wives and serving them in leadership. But here we see the command is for both, right? There's a call for the child in this text to submit to both. And so there's a full-on, absolute equality in the husband and the wife here, right? Children, is not, children are not to submit to one more than the other. They're submit, to submit to parents, and look at the comparison, parents. God bless you. This is 
glorious. Obey your parents in the Lord. The obedience to the parent is ultimately obedience to Christ. And so how affirming is that of the mother and the father? How, how gloriously affirming is that of the roles that we have as both fathers and mothers, as both dignified, as both made in the image of God, as both being used by God to lead our children, God calls both the wife and the husband into this leadership equation. And so that in the Lord is such a, a beautiful qualification of the obedience that Paul calls children to. Because ultimately, a child's submission to the parents is the learned submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. That it is the beginning of their understanding of what it looks like to submit. And there's something beautiful about this that Paul just simply says, this is just right to do. <laughs> it's just right. Right? Like in our day and age, I struggle with just simply saying, do this because it's right. Because I know how nuanced our explanations need to be and how loaded commands are in our generation because we're all you know, still struggling with this word of submit and, and we don't like this idea of authority. Um, but sometimes we need to understand we do things because it's just right. And right is good. And good is godly and godliness is holiness. And it's just right. So parents, sometimes it is your obligation to understand and to explain and to help to, to, to bring the cookies down to the kids, so to say, and help them understand obedience. And sometimes it's okay just to say, it's the right thing for you to do. Sometimes they simply need to understand right and wrong, and this is right. In the Lord to obey your parents. Right? And so then Paul lays out the commandment. He says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise uh, that it may go well with you. So this commandment was given in Exodus 20, right? So Moses went up the mountain, chiseled into stone, came down, that whole thing, right? So that's where this commandment first shows up, and it's the first one on the list that has a promise. God attaches a promise of long life in the land. The land for them is the land of promise, right? Israel, where they're ultimately going to, or uh, Palestine, where they're ultimately going to be brought. Um, but the instruction, the, the obedience is tied to God's kind of guarantee that as you do that, things will happen well in your life, right? There's a glorious order to the universe, and that order comes all the way down into the father and mother and the household, and when you s submit to that order, life works well, right? Because of sin and brokenness, it never quite works as well as we'd like. And so there's a real commandment and there's a real promise in there. And for grown children, we're still called to this as one of our Ten Commandments, right? Just because you're up and out of the house doesn't mean honoring your mother and father doesn't apply anymore, right? And so as grown adults, we still need to pay attention to the fact that we're called to honor our mother and father, even though we may be beyond the command to obey them, okay? Because the obedience aspect of this command is for the little kids, for the ones in the household, right? The obedience command is not yours anymore when you're an adult. You need to obey your mom. No, your mom needs to grow up and understand she can't tell you what to do anymore, okay? And you need to grow up and understand you can still honor your mom, even though you don't obey her, right? So as grown adults, this might look like respecting our parents' wisdom and actually seeking <laughs> or heeding their advice. Yes, I said it, right? Like, actually going and asking them, what would you do in this situation, Dad? What would you do here, Mom? It means probably caring for them by visiting, or if you're me, Skyping. Amen. Skyped with my mom last week. It was great. Uh, maybe you're eventually providing practical care or financial help one day. That's a great way to honor your parents, honor your mother or father. Possibly you might have to accommodate them as they age, as they become more unwell, as they become more frail and afraid. And for married couples, this one's tough. We ought not disrespect our parents or parents-in-law by the way we have our secret conversations about them. Jesus, help me. Right? Honor your father and mother. Bro, help your wife honor her father and mother. Ladies, help your husband honor his father and mother. Right? We must be careful lest our households become the place of complaints, the water cooler. 
you're still called to honor. Amen. Ultimately, honoring our parents is part of our allegiance to Christ. And listen, later in the text we see this and also in the command, we will be rewarded by God in the coming kingdom of heaven and to some degree in the fullness of life now as we obey his commands. Okay? There are good things to come to you when you follow the Lord's commands. So do that. Ephesians 6, 4, I didn't say this earlier, I should have. We're obviously not touching on everything in every one of these categories, because there's a lot. But we're going to keep going. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so fathers here are given a negative instruction followed by a positive one, right? First it's don't do, and then it's do do. Yes. So, a don't and a do. So the negative first. Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger or, or, or maybe to, uh, to frustrate or to pressure immensely or to um, exacerbate your child, to make them worn out by your pressure, by your overbearedness, right? Richard Koken says this, I've annoyed my kids most when I've failed to think into their world with empathy. For example, forgetting how each child is different uh, is a different character with unique needs and ways of expressing themselves. So Richard says, I, I see this when I, I wear my kids out by not understanding who they are, right? By not coming down to their level and getting who they are as a person, who they are uniquely and differently. One author recommended that the best way to avoid uh, beating your children down is to consciously resolve to enjoy them as precious gifts from God, right? And to keep in mind that you were a kid once too, dude, right? To settle down and understand that kids are just kids sometimes, and that's okay. And most of all, fathers, we need to remember how patiently our Heavenly Father has been with us when we were defiant and grumpy. Amen? So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But the positive instruction is so important, he says to then bring them up, right? There's a sense here of nurturing. There's a sense here of building. And he says two things. He says to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord and also to build them up in the instruction of the Lord. And so these two things have to coexist in parenting in order to do justice to how God parents us because God does both. He disciplines those who he loves, and he instructs us. And they're two different things. So discipline is more of the negative idea, not negative as, as in it's bad, but negative as in what it does. It, it, it responds to uh, wrong behavior and wrong attitudes and wrong hearts, right? It responds. Discipline has, sees a situation before it, and it responds to that situation. And we see in Scripture that we're called to discipline in love, and that discipline is, in fact, itself love. In Hebrews 12, we're told that illegitimate children don't get discipline. <laughs> but those whom the Father loves, he disciplines so is the same with us. And then the instruction is the positive side of things. So instruction is the teaching and guidance forward to develop character and to lead towards wisdom. And we see in Scripture that uh, those who do not heed instruction are called fools, right? And so we need these two things. We need the discipline and we need the instruction. Again, more on discipline is that the fact is that discipline looks back at what has happened. It looks at a situation that has happened and it corrects in response to undesirable behavior and attitude and belief in order that we might produce mature and wise adults. Tim Chester says that good parenting often responds to unplanned situations, but with a high level of intentionality. We use the events of our children's lives as opportunities to shape their character and to teach the gospel. It's the same way with discipling one another in a church family as well. And so we see that discipline is necessary in the life of a child because the life, uh, because the mind of a child and the experience of a child is limited compared to that of the parent. 
And so therefore, the response of a parent to correct an improper behavior is to lead them towards instruction, to lead them out of a bad response into a good response. And we've gotta be honest when we understand that mistakes are made in our lives without even knowing the mistakes that we're making, so is true of your child, right? Like so much of our teaching for people and our instructing for our children has to be built around the understanding that they don't know what we know yet. That they haven't experienced what we've experienced yet. And that's the gracious gift of God to give leaders into your child's life, you into your child's life because you know and you have experienced and you have gained things that they have not yet gained. If you ever look at your kid and you think, why don't you know that yet? You're condemning yourself. What's wrong with you? Why don't you know? You're the primary influencer in their life. I don't know why they don't know. Because you didn't teach them. So don't correct them just because they don't know, right? Correct them in a way that leads them to knowledge. Right? This happens, I mean, we can take this into all of our lives, the way that we interact with people subordinates at work, even, even a coworker or a student next to us. You didn't know? Easy. So? So they didn't know. Help them. Don't be the giant that condemns them. Build them. Lift them. Instruct them. There's one very important aspect of discipline, and that is working on the deep selfish attitudes of human beings, right? Like the Bible presents a very clear picture about kids. And the clear picture is that they do not start off neutral. They definitely don't start off good. They start off the way I started off, the way you started off, born in iniquity, right? Dead to God, slaves to sin, overruled by an evil nature. That's the starting point. And so when we understand that that's where kids begin, it leads us to a whole different picture of what discipline looks like. Not condemning a kid for getting things wrong, right? But still being very clear to point it out and to point out why it's wrong, and to point out what is right instead. That's what discipline is, is responding to situations that have happened in order to instruct towards the future. Richard Koken says this as well about discipline. And this is just really practical advice for you parents. He says, you must win the battle of wills, or your child will grow up to find it impossible to take direction from a teacher or employer, and impossible to accept the critique of the Bible at church. You must win that battle. That seems strong, and it is, but it's strong for good. Right? I think one of the great ills of our generation is that we can't discipline a kid. I think by and large, you just look at our generation and people are afraid or they say, I can't. Yes, you can in the Lord and you must. Otherwise, that child will grow up with a self-righteous, determined will which no one can combat against, right? I needed to learn it early. You needed to learn it early. Your kids need to learn it early. They are not ultimate. They are not all wise. Their way is not the best way, right? Some of us are still, all of us are still learning this. Teach your kid, right? Teach your kid. They are not the ultimate. You must win that battle of wills. And so discipline is, instruction, is, is necessary and it moves toward instruction. And here are some aspects of our instruction for our kids. Part of our instruction is in the word of God. Make that a part of your instruction of your kids, parents. Part of instruction is not just instructing toward particular behaviors, but rather instructing the heart and and instructing the will. 
because it is from the inside that behaviors flow out, and so therefore it's not just simply do this, do this, change this, change that, be better at this, but rather what are you motivated by? How are you thinking of others when you think like that, when you behave like that? What is your view of yourself when you conduct your life in that kind of a way, right? Like get down into the heart of the matter and instruct your child. Please, parents, provide instruction in tune with your child's passions. Amen? Find out what they love and instruct in that. Go learn the things that they want to learn, then help them learn with them so they can become all that God has called them and gifted them to be. Right? One of the saddest things to see is somebody uh, work through their childhood into adolescence and then approach the college years and just go, I, I, I don't know what I like. Mom, Dad, you've got perception into your child's life to understand what they're gifted toward, what they're passionate about. Get in there with them, right? This is some of my greatest memories of my dad is that he didn't just simply ram us into his passions. He learned our passions, and he built stuff, and he worked stuff, and he developed stuff in order to aid us toward our passions, it was one of the greatest gifts my father ever gave us. Such a beautiful thing to do. Instruct your child's passions. Find them out and champion those things. Right? I sat down with a young dad recently who was just discovering this about his adopted son. I'm like, what's he into? Is he, is he, is he down with baseball? The dad played college ball, right? You know he wants to pitch with the kid. He wants to play bat and ball, wants to throw catch. And I'm like, is he, is he athletic? He's like, no, he just wants to listen to music all day. I'm like, cool, well, what are you doing? He's like, we're setting up this little mixing studio in the apartment out back. We're like getting a little computer and a keyboard and a small drum kit, and he's just going to town. I'm like, yes, dad, nailed it, right? Like, he so wants to go to t-ball with his son, but he's not. He's sitting down at a keyboard. That's instructing in the passions that God's given that child. Amen. Parents, instruct in the car, instruct on the trail, instruct in the waiting room, instruct at the table, instruct with the neighbors, instruct at church, instruct in the marketplace. All the time, everywhere, there's opportunities for learning and growth. Get down on your knee, look them eye to eye, eye, to eye and talk to them about a bug or a tree or the tide, right? That'll open the door for you to one day talk to them about birds and bees, yo. Right? Like, get in their world and bring them instruction. You can recognize a parent or a child who's had a good parent because their minds are alive. Your kids have so much to learn from you parents and God has given you to them as their primary instructor. We gotta keep in mind both the discipline and the instruction, right? Because if you only discipline and you don't turn in, bring in instruction into their life, that will provoke your child to anger, right? A child who is only disciplined ends up believing that they can never do right. You've seen adults like that. You work with them. You're neighbors with them. They believe they could never do right because all they got was a heavy hand. You've got to match it with instruction. Amen? But if you only instruct and never discipline, you can steer your child towards pride and eventually develop a child who ends up believing they can do no wrong. Right? And we know people like this. And they are giant headaches. And I is one of them. Right? We need the balance. We need the balance. Your child needs the development of both discipline and instruction. Margaret and Andreas Kostenberger said this, in the short run, a laissez-faire, hands-off approach may seem preferable in that there may be less conflict, but it will not likely result in a young person marked by character and maturity. Remember, your primary goal in parenting is not to minimize conflict, but to build genuine character, right? So this takes and it needs and it requires a lot of conversations about a lot of different things. It takes a lot, a lot of praying. It takes reading the Bible together. It takes you as a parent repenting to your kid 
It takes you as a parent welcoming them into your weaknesses and your struggles and your fight to hold on to faith in the midst of doubt. Pull them into that at age-appropriate levels, right? Let them see that you aren't perfect. It requires a lot of exposure to a lot of examples. I encourage an active life in the church surrounding them with other Christians, asking people for help in your life, and then opening your ears to see where you could be guided further. It includes a whole heck of a lot of fun and lots of laughter, right? If that's not part of your parenting strategy, you better focus on it before your kids get provoked to anger. It means digging into your child's life with eagerness. It means letting down your guard and showing them your humanity. It means shaping them the way that God would shape them toward character, towards faith, and towards love. Finally, Paul Tripp says this about parenting. Parenting is a flawed person commissioned by God to give guidance to another flawed person. <laughs> Yay. The environment for that is a broken world. Wow, it just keeps getting better, right? I mean, tough. But he says, with the help of a faithful God, parenting is impossible. It is. And parents listen loud and clear. I don't have, you don't have, we don't have, in myself, everything I need to be a parent. I don't have everything in myself that my children need, right? God doesn't call us to a task because we're able. He calls us to a task because he is able. You don't have everything that they need, but you do have a lot that they need, mostly your loving engagement. Amen? And the Lord will provide in so many glorious ways. This week, we're going to publish a blog on the website with all sorts of thoughts and quotes and books and resources for parents. Um, really, eventually, we need to do a whole series on parenting. But uh, we're going to put out a bunch of stuff this week. I encourage you to check that out and dig in. There's a lot of amazing writing about parenting right now. All right, so we've got to wrap up quick with the last few verses. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, the Greek word here that's translated into slave or maybe bondservant, depending on what text you have, um, it's the Greek word doulos, and it's often uh, used in, in uh, the New Testament, translated either uh, servant, bondservant, or slave. And we need to understand that when you hear slave, it's nothing like um, uh, pre-Civil War American African slave trade slavery, Okay. The slavery that Paul is talking to is not that slavery, okay? So just blanket statement, anybody who ever says the Bible agrees with that slavery in America once upon a time, they're, they're completely wrong and they don't know the Bible, okay? Just, I'm just going to say it, okay? So, and we've seen people repent for that kind of posture before, so that has to be spoken. But what this type of person was... Uh, in Paul's day, is someone who was bound uh, to serve a master for a specific period of time. Um, but they also might have been someone who has their own property or has achieved certain social standings. Okay, so it, it, it did not look the, sla the same as like slave trade, uh, American and, and European slavery. Okay, so that, that wasn't the kind of slavery that existed when Paul was going on. And the reason these instructions for slaves and masters fall within the household is because most slaves were within a household. They were just people who lived in the house, ate with the family, knew the family, and were working off a debt, or were simply needing somewhere to, uh, to have a roof sustained over their house until they got their feet under them. Like, that was kind of more what was going on in Paul's day. But nevertheless, slavery, because of Christianity, actually began to die out. Okay, there's another letter in the New Testament where Paul wrote to Philemon and he said, start treating your slave as a brother, not as a slave. And that was a leading indicator of what the church began to do with even slaves in their house. They began to treat them as brothers instead of slaves, partly because of Paul's instruction here and his letter to Philemon. And so they began to set them free and just call them brother instead of slave. 
And they began to be generous and just give them things so that they could find their own place to live, find their own job, and, and sustain a real lifestyle without the need of a master. That was kind of the direction that Christianity went. And so all along, Paul has in mind not for these people to continue to be treated as slaves, but rather for them to be treated as brothers and sisters. And for us, probably the best parallel is just employees and employers, right? Because none of us are bond servants, slaves, you know, we're not tied to somebody with some kind of obligatory service, but we probably signed an employment contract, right? More than likely. And so we're tied in some way to an employer. And so for us, the most applicable thing here is in our jobs. And so the instruction to us here is to obey our earthly masters, right? So when I had that conversation about leadership at the beginning, for some of you, you I hope the person that popped in your mind was your supervisor or your boss, right? Or if you serve a board or something like that, that could be a person in your life that's a leader. Whether they're a Christian or not, you're called to submit to them. And also, those questions that I gave you at the beginning of the message could be applied to that relationship. You could go to that person and say, what are my blind spots? Right? What do I need to learn? Where is my attitude bad? Right? You know my bad days. You know my good days. What makes them bad? What makes them good? Ask them. They know. They probably really want to tell you. So go ask. You're supposed to serve these leaders in your life with fear and trembling. You're supposed to serve these leaders in your life with a sincere heart. And you're supposed to serve these leaders in your life as you would Jesus Christ. Right? Like from 17 on, I always thought, I'll just be a pastor, be a minister, be a pastor, be a minister. And I pursued that and I started doing that, young 20s. And God ripped that all away from me for a glorious purpose and a nice healing and restorative process. And so I had to spend a lot of time just working a real job in the real world like y'all. And in those years, I finally started to understand that God was leading me through my leaders. The ones that I disagreed with, right? The ones that I struggled to submit to. The ones who might, I questioned their morals or their heart right? I was still called to serve them as the Lord. Because let's be honest, God is going to tell you things. He has already and he still will, if you're really reading this right. He will tell you things you don't want to do. How you respond to your boss today when he tells you things you, aren't supposed to, you don't want to do will lead you to a different response when you hear what Jesus has to say to you that you also don't want to do. Right? So you can not agree with her and still submit to her. You can not agree with him and still submit to him as your boss, and you can learn Christ in so doing. Right? Because God isn't just filled with things that he's going to tell you that you like. He's filled with things to tell you that you don't like because you're a sinner. Right? So as we learn submission in these tough places, God is teaching us submission to Christ. So obey, submit, listen to, and follow your leaders as you would Jesus. It's part of God graciously giving you a leader because you need one, right? You need one. So he says to do these things, and he says some ways that we shouldn't do these things. Don't just do it to make people happy. Don't just do it before their eyes and then not do it behind their back. Don't just do it as a people pleaser. We are led to do it with a different motivation, and that is because we want to do God's will from our hearts as servants of Jesus. That's why we follow our leaders. That's why we submit to them. Now, the foundation for all of this, the foundation for all of the employee service and submission to leaders, also uh, children to parents, also even wives to husbands, right, is in such an important verse, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. 
God sees. Right? And God rewards in all of these arenas of our life. There is nothing outside of his vision. He sees all of it. He sees the attitude behind all of it. He sees the deep recesses of your hearts in the midst of all of it. And he rewards the good. And he pushes back against the bad because he is for your good. And so to be a good servant is ultimately to recognize who your master really is. And God, through Paul, calls masters to realize who their master is too, right? So even when we're given the privilege of leading, we still hold within our view the fact that we still submit to the Lord and that we lead as he would have us lead, not just as we feel we should lead, right? So that's why Paul calls them to do the same. What, to do the same as what? To do the same as fathers and husbands, to lead, but to lead like Jesus. That's what he tells masters to do. Why? For the good of those who are under your care. Ultimately, to render leadership as to the Lord and not to man. To understand that even a leadership role is a gift from God and that we serve a greater master. So every duty, every responsibility, every role that we find ourselves in, whether it's little child or middle-aged child that still has to honor their mother or father, whether it's dad or mom or whether it's employee or employer, in every one of these roles, we will see that Christ influences all that we do, right? Because he who is both their Lord and yours, Paul says, is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him, right? Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. Jesus Christ is Lord when you're a son, He's Lord when you're a father, he's Lord when you're an employee, and he's Lord when you're a boss, right? Back into chapter five, Jesus Christ is Lord over wives, he's Lord over husbands, he's Lord over everything that you have or everything that you don't have, he's Lord over your thoughts and your words, he's Lord over your body and your sexuality, back into chapter four, he's Lord over your attitudes toward others, he's Lord over your work, over your money, he's Lord over your tongue and your speech, he's Lord over your anger, he's Lord over the church, and in every single leader in the church, Jesus Christ is the Lord of every Christian. He is the one we submit to. He is the one that we serve. He is the one whose instruction we follow. He is the one whose discipline we submit to. Jesus Christ is working out his lordship through the leadership in our life. It's a very real, very practical, very tangible, real thing for you. I encourage you, submit to Jesus Christ's lordship. Let him lead you. Let him teach you how to be a daughter and a son. Let him lead you as parents. Let him guide you into fatherhood that is marked by both discipline and instruction. May he be your boss, the one that you aim to please in every single one of your 50 plus hours of, week, of work a week. May he be your leader even when you find yourself being the leader of others. It is good and right and wise to submit yourself to the Supreme Lord, Jesus Christ, the King and Savior of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we are struggling, doubt-filled, self-righteous sinners who need leadership. And you, in your grace, through your compassion, you have given us leaders. Some of us are younger kids in a home and we still need to obey our parents. Some of us, some of us are adults, yet we're still children of a father and of a mother and we can still bring honor to them. Some of us are fathers and mothers and you are ultimately the one who is parenting our children. Some of us are employees and some of us are employers. And both have the same master, Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. 
Would you teach us through our leaders what you want to teach us? Would you lead us towards submission ultimately to you as we submit to the authorities over us? God, some of us struggle in our workplaces. We really do. And you're really compassionate towards that struggle. You understand it. And yet you call us to be under these leaders that you've given us in our lives for specific purposes for your will to be done. And so, Lord, help us not reject what you've put in our lives. Because in rejecting them, we reject you. But Lord, train us so that ultimately when you confront us with your word, things that are spoken against our selfishness and our sinfulness and our rebellion, when you speak those things, would you lead us to become the people who respond in humility and repentance and obedience to the glory of God the Father? through Jesus Christ, his son. We thank you for this, Lord. We love you. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.